Hi. It's great to be with you today. It's a chilly one, and thank you for coming. We're glad that you're here today. Uh, my name is Ken, and uh, I'm a lead pastor here at Grace. Honored to be able to serve you in that way. So we are in a series where we're learning how to fight. It's a great thing to do in church. Sounds a little heretical, doesn't it? But we're learning how to fight, but we're learning how to fight right. We're learning how to fight right, and I hope that, I hope that as a result of our time together that we might get really, really good at fighting right, right? Because the truth is that conflict is kind of inevitable, right? You cannot live your life without stepping on or being stepped on. I mean, that's just the way it is in our world today. And the truth is, if you don't fight right, you hurt yourself, or you hurt someone else, or you allow yourself to be hurted, hurt, hurted, allow yourself to be hurt. So hurt can happen, and that's why we need to learn to fight right. So I'm going to do a little survey, okay? So I want you to raise your hands, okay? How many are excited to be here today? Can I see your hands? All right, good stuff. How many of you would be excited to be on a beach in Florida tomorrow? Can I see your hands? All right. How many of you enjoy confrontation? Okay, we have one hand in the room, and we're going to send him for counseling. Um, <laughs> confrontation is one of those things we really don't like, right? I mean, it's one of those things that really we just go, yeah, it's just not really something that, that I want to do. It's like finger, fingernails scraping on a chalkboard. You just go, I don't really want to get engaged in confrontation. It's difficult. It's tough stuff, and it can... I know it, it, you, you get anxious, you get nervous, you argue with yourself, you rehearse, you reflect, you regurgitate. Am I going to do it this way? Am I going to do it that way? And you back off, and sometimes instead of confronting, you don't confront. And you, sometimes when you do confront, you don't go all the way, you hold back a little bit. It's one of those things that we struggle with, that we wrestle with, and I know I really do that a lot. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to talk about a new paradigm. One of the key things in learning to fight right is not, as we talked about last week, judging was a big piece of that, and that, this piece this morning is also significant as we talk about confrontation. But let me give you a definition of confrontation. So confrontation happens when one person communicates to another person the need to redirect personal understanding, behavior, or belief. So it's when I come in front of another person, and the word confront means to, to come in front of, and I challenge them in what their understanding might be, in what their beliefs might be, and what their behavior might be. Now, that's a really broad definition of confrontation. And what it means is that the spectrum is quite huge. So we could talk about a simple thing like this morning, I'm really, you could in one sense call what I'm doing confronting you, because I'm challenging you with behavior, with understanding and belief from Scripture. So it can be that simple, and it can move all the way to the other extreme where maybe I'm an employer and I'm letting somebody go, I'm firing somebody. So it can be that, that significant, that serious an issue. That whole spectrum is there. And when we think about it, I think it's important for us to understand that. Now, there's only one thing that you need to remember today, okay? Can you do this with me? One thing, just one thing you need to remember, okay? And if you, if you get done before I'm done and you want to leave, feel free to do this. Once you get this one thing, you remember this one thing, okay? Just one thing I want you to remember, one thing. If you decide, you know, you're still in the room, but you're practicing your golf swing in your head, that's okay too. Just remember this one thing. Here's the one thing I want you to remember. Healthy confrontation is a gift. Can you say that with me, please? You ready? Healthy confrontation is a gift. Healthy confrontation is a gift. Here's why this is so important. If you can understand this and embrace this, that healthy confrontation is a gift, it will have an impact on how you deliver it as the confronter and how you receive it as the confrontee, right? So if I'm a confronter 
And I know that healthy confrontation, that is, a right kind of confrontation with the right issues in the right way, is like a gift. So what I'll do is I'll choose the confrontation to fit that person and that situation. I'll wrap it in the right kind of way so that I can deliver it appropriately. And when I think about confrontation as a gift, I know that it's something that person's going to be benefited by as I give it to them. Now, if I'm the one who's being confronted, this can also be important for me, right? Because if I understand healthy confrontation and I love that person, I trust that person as they sit down and talk to me, I'm talking about one-to-one stuff right now, I understand it's a gift. I realize this is special and they've done this for me because they, ma- they care about me. I matter to them. And as I receive it, I'm going to unwrap it properly and recognize it as a special gift to help me become healthier as a person. So I don't know if you've heard this before, but healthy confrontation is a what? It's a gift. And that can help me as I confront someone and it can help me as I receive confrontation. If I can see it that way, I think that will go a long way for me to be able to respond to it appropriately. So why would we say that it's a gift? Well, here's a number of reasons. Healthy confrontation helps us grow. It helps us grow. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so people can improve one another. And if you remember, I talked about this whole spectrum of confrontation. How did I, and when you think about it, much of the reason that you are who you are, that you changed in your life is because you were confronted about an issue that you needed to change. And you can think about a simple com- context like school. I was confronted by the teacher in one sense how to learn math, because I didn't understand math, I didn't know math, and at the end of the day, I could divide a little bit. That was kind of cool. You learned how to drive because a teacher sat in the car next to you, or it was your parents or a friend who white-knuckled it as you were driving down the road with that 2,000-pound beast with steel and rubber and metal and glass, and they would say, no, that's a one-way street, or whatever it might have been, right? So, and how did you learn to drive? Well, you probably were confronted along the way. We don't change without a certain measure of confrontation in our lives. So you cannot be who you are, you cannot know what you know without confrontation. We grow because of confrontation. Secondly, confrontation, healthy confrontation is an act of love. It's an act of love. A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? If I see someone and I, I realize that if I came along and, and confronted them, or David Augsburg calls it care-fronting them, if I cared enough to come in front of them and say to them, this needs to change in your life, that that's an act of love. And to not do that is to not love. And I, I remember a situation in my past where I was questioning why people didn't confront me and wondering whether they really loved me like they said they did. It was years ago, and we had this new wireless headset. I'd never used it before. And they said, we got this new wireless headset. Ken, we want you to wear this, like the one I'm wearing now. Um, And so I went to the back room, and I put it on my head, and I weaved it behind my shirt, and did all kinds of things, got it in my pocket, rushed out back into the the auditorium for the worship piece, and got up to lead in, in my teaching piece. And I was teaching away, and I got to the point in my sermon, toward the end of my sermon, where I was going to read scripture. It's a very quiet moment. People were paying attention. It was one of those moments, you know. And I had a stool to sit on because I wanted to just kind of create a different atmosphere. So I sat down on the stool, and I opened up my Bible, and I looked down, and my fly was wide open at that particular moment. And I didn't know what to do. Now, I 
apparently people in the congregation knew that I found out then because there was this <gasps> sucking of air and I went pasty white and all kinds of things happened at that particular moment. But um, I, 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 you know one of the things I learned at that, at that moment? Men can multitask, okay? <laughs> I learned that at that moment because I'm sitting there going, I got to read this scripture and I'm panicking and wondering what are people seeing? And I you know, ordered my Bible in the right spot and I began to read. And while I was reading, I'm going, what am I going to do? Um, how am I going to fix this? Do I ask every eye closed and no one looking around? Do I do that? Will that work? Do I, do I just simply keep my Bible in the right spot and change hands for the rest of the service? Do I, do I, do I leave and come back? Um, and what, what is this a one-hander or a two-hander zipper? You know, those kinds of things. I didn't know, and I was panicking at that particular moment. Well, anyway, what I ended up doing was I ended, I ended up using my Bible in this way, and I just kept talking like this. It was a shield, which I think is biblical to use it like that. Um, and, and got to the end of the service, and, and, um, but I was questioning, you guys at the back, somebody in the building, if you loved me, you would have told me this, right? Why didn't the tech guys write a sign that says, what do birds do? I would have figured it out, right? <laughs> at that point. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is absolutely true. The sermon that Sunday was titled this way, Looking Up When Things Are Feeling Down. <laughs> it was on depression, actually, that particular morning. So God had a good laugh, too. Anyway, if you love someone, you're going to confront them, right? Now, now I mean, the last thing I want to do is get on my deathbed and somebody say to me, Ken, a group of people come in, by the way, we should have told you this 20 years ago, but here's a problem that you have. You know, I go, oh, thank you. That's wonderful. I'm glad you shared it, right? Healthy confrontation helps us grow. It's an act of love, and it's commanded by God. Did you know that? Watch this. In Galatians, Paul writes, if someone is trapped in sin... You should gently lead that person back to the right path, but watch out and don't be tempted yourself. You obey the law of Christ when you offer each other a helping hand. Isn't that cool that he was calling on us to do that? And I love this verse in Matthew 18 in the message. It's paraphrased. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. Healthy confrontations helps us grow, it's an act of love, and it's commanded by God. And even those times when I struggle with, oh, do I want to confront this person? Ah, I don't know that I want to say this, I'll let it go, and then it comes back again. I'm trying to remind myself of these verses, you know, that it's an act of love, that it's commanded by God, and that it's going to help that person grow, and it also helps me grow, and that's just so important for us to understand, right? So, to dig a little more into this, we're going to look at the book of Philemon. So if you have a Bible or a digital device and you're able to go there, that would be great. And if not, we're going to throw the scriptures up on the screen. Let me just tell you about this little tiny book called Philemon. So Philemon is the name of a man who is a Christian, who is a wealthy Christian who lives in the city of Ephesus. Philemon is a follower of Jesus and he knows the Apostle Paul. It's quite possible that he came to faith in Jesus through the Apostle Paul. And in Philemon, Philemon is wealthy, he owns a large home, and we believe, we're trying to put the pieces together, we believe that a church actually met inside his home, because you'd understand that in the early days, churches did not have their own buildings, right? So believers would come to his home, and he owned slaves, and, this was, and he had servants, and he had slaves, and one of those slaves was a man by the name of Onesimus. Now, for whatever it was, Onesimus did something that fractured the relationship between him and Philemon. And we think that he may have stolen something. We're not completely sure of all that took place. But Onesimus leaves Ephesus, 
runs away, does not resolve the conflict, whatever that conflict was between him and Philemon, and he goes to Rome. When he goes to Rome, he finds out where the Apostle Paul is. Likely, when Onesimus, as a slave, was in Philemon's home during this time, and they would have church gatherings, he met Paul. Paul would have been there. Paul would have preached. Paul would have taught. So when he goes to Rome, he looks for Paul. He finds Paul in prison, and Paul leads him to Jesus Christ. He puts his faith in Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's a fracture in the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus, and Paul wants to come into the middle and help this relationship become restored. And to do that, he's going to confront Philemon. Now, he can't make a phone call because he's used his one phone call with his lawyer. He can't send him a text, so what he's going to do is he's going to write a letter. Now, writing a letter is not the best way to confront Okay, the best way to confront is like face-to-face, right? Or maybe on the phone, we'd put letters down the, down the list a little ways, right? But that's the only option he has. So Paul writes the book of Philemon to Philemon, and we get the chance to be nosy and look at his mail. It's really kind of cool. This is a book that has um, only 25 verses in it. There's 111 words, so it's very small. But it, in there, I believe that when we unpack the, path, the, the book, and by the way, this would be a great book for you to read this week, to sit down and read the book of Philemon. Like, you can do it in 10 minutes. It's not, it's not, it's not a big one. And as you do it, pick out some of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning that I think will help us become better at this whole area of confrontation. So, Paul begins, Paul writes this letter, to con- and he confronts Philemon in it. By the way, I don't know if you've heard of this or not. But healthy confrontation is a gift. Have you heard that before? Can you say it with me? You ready? Healthy confrontation is a gift. Now, when we go through the book of Philemon, I'm going to give you four verbs. And you don't have to remember them this. You, don't have to remember, you don't, do not have to remember the verbs. You do have to remember this little line that goes, healthy confrontation is a gift. That's the only assignment. But these might be helpful. So what we're going to look is at four actions that Paul engages in when he writes to Philemon that we would also want to consider when we're confronting somebody else. And again, there's a spectrum of confrontation. So in some cases, this wouldn't fit exactly with your situation, but it's a great default position to start with. And here are the four verbs. See, say, serve, stay. I even made them rhyme. Isn't that cool? So we could, if you wanted to, do a little extra memory work. You could remember the four verbs. But why don't you say them with me? You ready? See, say, serve, stay. We get a rap going, see, say. No, we won't. Um, But let's talk about them. So this is the four ways, four actions that enable healthy confrontation. And the first is the word see. This is about perspective. This is about how you're looking at the individuals in the confrontation dance. So Paul is one of the people. How does he see? Onesimus, um, or excuse me, Philemon is the th- second one, the one who's so the confronter, he needs to look at himself. The confrontee, who is Philemon, he needs to look at him properly, he needs to see him properly. And then there's God as well, that he wants to see God. So what Paul does is he looks at how he sees himself in the book, how he sees Philemon in the book, and how he sees God in the book as he pulls this confrontation experience together. Watch how Paul sees himself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Now, often when Paul writes a letter in the New Testament, and many of them are for confronting the churches, he doesn't start this way. He starts, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
He is an apostle. He was recognized and called by Jesus to be a founder of the movement of Christianity. He has authority. He writes 13, at least 13 of the New Testament books. He's an incredible man of God, and he has authority in that posture. But as he speaks with Philemon, he doesn't mention the word apostle at all. Instead, he says, a prisoner and a brother. You notice he talks about that, a brother to you and a brother to Timothy. We're both writing to you in that sense, and I want to tell you that's who I am. He doesn't put himself at the top of the list. He comes alongside of Philemon. He says, here we are, you're my brother. And, he'll, and if you read the book of Philemon, you'll see this over and over and over again where he's constantly coming alongside of him. Even when he instructs him what to do, he responds in that way. The second thing that he does is how he sees Philemon. And sometimes when we're confronting someone and we look at that person, we just see the issue, right? And we forget all the rest about that person. So instead of just seeing it as one little dot, we see the whole person as a problem. We're going to confront them. They're really a bad thing. You know, they're, they're just, it's, everything seems to be wrong with them. Paul does not do that when he writes to Philemon. You'll, know that, you'll notice, um, here's what we read. In verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. So when he sees Philemon, he sees him as a friend. He sees him as a fellow worker. He comes alongside of him that way. Not only does he see himself not as an apostle, but someone comes alongside Philemon. He elevates Philemon too. He doesn't dive right into the problem. He celebrates who he is. But in addition to that, Paul talks about God. In this tiny book of 25 verses, he references God the Father or Jesus multiple, multiple times. Listen to this. Here's where you find God mentioned in verse 1, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 9, 20, 23, and 25. So God is all a part of this as well. I'm seeing myself the way I need to see myself as the confronter, Paul is saying. I see you, Philemon, as my brother, my fellow worker, my friend, and I see God involved as well. And he says this about God in verse 15. I know it says verse 7 on the slide. Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. He's kind of talking about how God is orchestrating this. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, and now he talks about Onesimus, as a dear brother, because Onesimus has become a follower of his. So how I see myself, how I see the person I'm confronting, how I see God is critical to a confrontation experience. Even if I'm confronting somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus, I need to see God in the middle of that, right? And I need to see them in a healthy and appropriate way as well. That's just so important. It's powerful. It's, it's important that we do that, right? What do you see in your experience of confrontation when you're confronting a friend? Do you see them? Do you come alongside of them or do you come down on them? When, you, when you're confronting a child or a teenager, a coworker, how do you see that person? How do you see yourself? I think it's really important that we do that in, an, in a very godly way, and I think Paul's example is so important for us. So the first action is see. The second action is say. We have wrapped the gift a bit with what we see. That's part of the wrapping. And how, what we say is also part of the wrapping as I give the gift to the person of confrontation, as well as the content is also something that I say. So you want to say things in a way that would 
want the person would want to open the gift. And Paul writes this to, to Philemon. He says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Good? I mean, just imagine if when I'm going to confront someone, I could say something like what Paul is saying about you, if I'm going to confront you, or you're going to confront me. We just the one dot. I'm going to look at the rest of your life, and I'm going to say, I'm so thankful that we're in this relationship. I'm so thankful for who you are, so thankful for what God has done in your life. So, and it's not, I don't think it's a buttering the person up. It's being honest. It's reminding both parties of who they are in the relationship. And that's just so important. You notice when Paul writes this, he speaks to the past, he speaks to the present, he speaks to the future. And I think when he's doing this, there's a warmth and a reminder and a connection that becomes so important for him. And yet, he has to do more than simply say something, right? And so what we find is, here's what he says, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love, you notice again that he doesn't, I'm ordering you, he doesn't do that. I'm not forcing you to respond. I'm going to appeal to you. He's coming along as a brother. I'm going to appeal to you in this basis. So if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. So he's very clear in what he wants Philemon to do. I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. I remember who you are and what you've done, and I need you to accept, to welcome Onesimus back. That's what I'm asking you to do. Paul may not understand all of the differences or the things that are separating Onesimus and Philemon. He's only got Onesimus' account, but he's saying, I'm asking you to get this to make this right. This is so important for us. Forgive him. Reconcile with him. I think that some confrontation fails because we are not kind or gracious. We don't wrap the gift properly. And some confrontation fails because we aren't clear in what it is we're dealing with. We dance around the edges. Um, Carol and I have five children. The first three were boys. The last two were girls. And it's probably only true of our kids, but the boys fought differently than the girls fought. I don't know if you've experienced that. And I'm, you know, if you haven't, it's just a wonderful thing. Anyway, the, the, when the boys fight, it's more physical. It's more dramatic and it's over in a hurry when the girls were fighting our girls just our i'm sure it's only true of our girls the fights would last longer they would be far more emotional and intense and they would carry on and i remember i can remember some of them um actually quite clearly but one of the things that um, i i was digging around in a drawer one day and i found this little piece of paper that um my one daughter the youngest one had written to the oldest daughter there's a couple of years between them when she was maybe i don't know seven six seven years of age and she had written this note. This was her way of confronting her sister. And I want to read it to you. There's the note. I don't know that you can read it necessarily, but you'll notice there's a bunch of different colors. That's typically what she would do. Um, use a bunch of colors to try and soften it. She's doing a great job here. She sees her sister in a great way. I want you to hear that. And she's pretty clear with what she wants her to do. Let me read it to you. The spelling is atrocious, but I think I know what the words are. So let me read it to you. It goes like this. Hi, Laura. I think you have been mean to me this week, and if you apologize to me, I will feel better and apologize to you. <laughs> That's not got that quite right, but anyway, it's okay. 
Remember, she's little. And that way, you and me will feel a lot better. Love, Lindsay. Now, doesn't that warm your heart up? Isn't that sort of cool? Yeah, I'm pretty proud of her for doing that. But the fractured relationship gets mended, right, as a result. And they had more of these happening in their lives, I suspect will have in their lives. But the cool thing is that she's responding appropriately. How do I see the person I'm confronting? How do I see myself? How do I see God? How do I see them? What do I say? I'm going to speak in words that will allow me to wrap the gift up in a way that they'll accept it, but I also need to make sure I speak to what's going on in the conflict itself. See, say, serve. That's our third word. Our third word is serve. Paul does a whole lot more than just tell Philemon what he wants him to do. He actually comes along. It's really kind of cool, and he says, I want to help you. I want you to lean on me. I want to walk you through this if that's necessary. And here's what he says. He goes, if he has, that is, Onesimus has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I am Paul, or excuse me, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Isn't it interesting what he's saying here in verse 19? He's saying... um, I, I, you know, Anesimus is a slave. He doesn't have very much. I've got a little bit more. If he owes you money, if he's, you know, not paid you back from something he borrowed or if he stole, whatever the case might be, I want to come along and help this work. I'm not just leaving it on your shoulders. I'm doing what I can to make sure that this is an, an act that takes place. And um, I just think that's so important for us to understand, Right? That what we want to do when we're confronting someone is say, can I help you with this? Can I help take a, take, let's take a few steps together. See, say, serve, one more thing. Stay, stay. Paul is committed to Philemon. And you'll notice in verse 22, he says this. And one more thing, pray, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. I hope to get out of prison and I want you to know that my relationship with you, I still love you. I still want to be with you. I'm going to stay with you throughout this. And in verse 21, he goes even further and he says this, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. He's confident that the confrontation is going to work. He's confident that he's done it in a way and that Philemon is a godly man and that God's going to work in it and ultimately it's going to be successful. And if you're going into confrontation, you want to believe that it's going to be helpful. You want to believe that it's going to work. And that's clearly what it is that Paul does in this particular case. See, say, serve, stay. How do I see myself? How do I see God? How do I see that person? What do I say in a way that would be open and honest about who they are, the whole of who they are? I'm going to, not only will I be clear with them, but I'm going to promise them that I'm going to help them if I can. And also, I believe that this is going to work. I believe that you can do this. I believe that it can, it can be something that will be helpful. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but apparently, healthy confrontation is a gift. And if we can do it in a healthy way, then God can do some crazy, amazing things through it. And right now, you may be experiencing a conflict with someone. In fact, as I've been talking this morning, there may have been the picture of, that's come up on the walls of your mind of someone who you're in conflict with or someone that you need to confront, someone that you love and you need to come in front of them, care front them and say to them, ah, there's an area in your life, I, I, I love you, man. And I want to wrap this gift up of confrontation and give it to you because I want you to be everything that you can be. I don't want you to keep hanging around in this junky place. And maybe God's speaking to you that way this morning. 
And maybe this is something that will be of some help to you, that you would see and say and serve and stay as you minister to that particular person. Now, here's what's cool. Jesus, see, say, serve, stay. Didn't he do that? He saw us in our brokenness and in our sin. And God decided he would rescue us. He would confront us. So God sent Jesus. He sent prophets before that, but then he sends Jesus. And Jesus comes and walks on earth, becomes one of us to help us understand where we need to change, where we need to grow, where we need to be different. And he says, he sees us, he loves us, he sees who he is and he becomes one of us. He speaks to us about who we are. He loves us to bring us to that point. He serves us. Mark tells us, Jesus quotes Jesus by saying, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. And he goes to the cross and takes our sin on himself on the cross. What an incredible Savior. And then he wants to stay with us. Why, right? So he stays, and then he goes, and he's going to return. He believes in us. He entrusts us. He says, one day you're going to be with me. That's what I long for. That's what I want you to experience in your life. So our, our, our God, our Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit are here to do that very same thing in our lives. They'll sometimes use Scripture. They'll use other people. They'll use the, the Spirit of God inside of our lives so that we can understand and change and be all that God wants us to be. Amazing, right? That that's what he did for us. So we're going to emulate what Jesus did for us with those people that are in our circle of relationships that we need to confront, that we need to care enough about that we're going to help them live a life that would be honoring to them and honoring to God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time today. Thank you for this great little book called Philemon. Thank you that we get to stick our nose in Paul's mail, in Philemon's mail, and learn some strategic steps that are so important for us as we live out our lives loving the people around us, caring for the people around us, longing to give them a gift that would help them to be healthier. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bless us today. Thank you for being that kind of God who gave himself for us in this way. And help us, Lord, as we learn to fight right, to be able to do confronting in a way that would honor and glorify you. We know each situation is unique. Each challenge is different. Each person is special. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom and grace for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's stand as we sing our final song together. Just me. 
sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. Where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ in me. Temptation comes my way. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. 